We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Okay, guys. How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. Uh, Pastor Manny, as you can see, is not here. <laughs> just got back from the pastor's conference, and he's trying to uh, just totally consume it all, take it all in, reflect on it, and be blessed even more. So he, he's decided to take uh, this time to stay at home and be with the Lord. So he's given me the privilege to come before you guys, talk to you for a while about God's Word. Um, what I'm going to talk about is in chapter 7 of Luke, verses 36 through 50. And I'm going to talk about worship. And you say, Mark, worship? He couldn't carry a tune even if he had a wheelbarrow, right? I mean, Mark? I'm not Jeremy Kemp, right? I'm not Angel Sanchez. I'm not Errol and Esparza. My goodness, I'm not even Henry Acosta, guys. I can say that because he's my brother. But... um. We have to understand that true worship isn't really a matter of this talent or this talent. Amen? It's a matter of the heart. And that's what we need to understand. If you guys want to open your Bibles to chapter 7 of Luke. Verses 36 through 50. I'll read through it. And welcome, by the way. Have you guys ever seen Big Gabe this happy? Not in a few years anyway, huh? It's, it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing. Him and Paul are walking on clouds right now. As I'm sure uh, Katie and the kids and Josh are also. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's home and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. 
Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose that one, the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I, I find this passage to be pretty fascinating. It's it's pretty awesome. But prior to these verses, there's there's uh, 35 other verses in this passage that really set it up quite neatly. Um, during that portion of the, of the chapter, of chapter 7, Jesus basically confirms to Paul who he is. He confirms to Paul's disciples that he is the coming one, the Messiah, the anointed, the Savior. And he doesn't only do that with, with his words, but with his actions. If we read um, especially um, the Gospel of Mark, which has a lot to do with his actions and his, his deeds, we find out that he cures many of infirmities, he rebukes evil spirits, he gives sight to the blind, he makes the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have heard the gospel. But despite this, the religious people who see him, they see him eat with um, anyone who sets food in front of him, and they call him a glutton. They see him sit down and, and drink whatever is put in front of him, and they call him a wine-bibber, translated a drunk, right? They accuse him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's the self-righteous religious outlook of the Pharisees, right? Do we ever fall into that category when we see people who have just come into the church? People that perhaps don't fit in our uh, manner of living? We should stop and think, right? But then in verse 35 of Luke, it says... But wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the perfect segue, the perfect leading into this passage that we're reading now, which starts at verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Well, if he's accused of being a glutton, he just proved it again because he goes to the Pharisee's house. I have to stop and think, though. What's the Pharisees' um, intention? 
what could he possibly gain by having Jesus, whom they looked down upon, come to his dinner house, come to his house for dinner? You know, um, you don't know what his tensions are. Was he truly being hospitable? As we read, we find out not. Uh, did he want to boast to his fellow Pharisees about who was coming to dinner that night? Could you imagine? Hey, Nick, Nicodemus, guess who's coming to dinner tonight? That little whiz kid, the carpenter's kid, right? Or was he once again trying to do what all Pharisees do, what all religious people do, is try to cast Jesus in an error, in a mistake, try to point him out to be a fraud. That will never happen because he is, he is truth itself, right? So they try to disprove all his claims at every, at every turn, at every opportunity. That's the biggest thing they try to do. And as Jesus sits there dining at the Pharisee's table, someone shows up. A woman, a sinner as she's known. They don't just say a woman who sinned, but they call her a sinner. As we continue through the passage, we find out that her, her sin was perhaps that of a more public variety, something that was seen and shunned upon by everyone, including, our, including ourselves. I mean, basically, if we use our power of deduction, we find out that basically they're saying she's a harlot. She's a person who sins publicly. She's a notorious sinner. She has notoriety as being a sinner. So she shows up. But prior to her showing up, what do you guys think would have gone through her head? What made her think she was even welcome in the Pharisee's house? Was she concerned about being welcome? What do you guys think happened? I think the Holy Spirit moves. There was a seed planted. She had heard everything she had, that this man had done. And in some way, supernatural way, she was convinced in her heart that this man was the answer to her impurity. That she could become clean, perhaps only by the touch of this man. So there was this conviction in her heart. She knew who she was. We all know who we are when we come before the Lord. We can't be pretentious about anything because the Lord sees right through it. Amen? I was uh, at work the other day, and I'm in charge of a lot of stuff. Amongst one of the things is ordering materials for, for the job. And uh, I was talking to this vendor and this young lady, and I said... Uh, we haven't received the soil for our, our compost pile. I work at a nursery. And she says, well, it'll be there tomorrow. I said, Rosie, can you promise me that? And she just says over the phone, uh, no, I can't. God's watching me. Right? That's the kind of attitude we need to have. We know God sees right through our intentions. He knows exactly what we're thinking. He knows exactly what we're capable of. And this sinner, this woman knew that he knew. And she's reaching out to him. So all this happens in her heart 
before she even decides to come to the Pharisee's house. Once she's on her way there, the deal is done. She's confessed with her actions her faith in Christ. Right? The, the simple intention of going has already proved that she has that faith. She didn't need to prove to Jesus by her actions or by her works how good she was. He saw her faith. Amen? And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. When we come to church and worship are we coming to see the performance are we coming to see how well pleased I'll be after I hear Erlen sing I mean it, it is a privilege to hear her sing don't get me wrong but is that how you're coming to see what you can get out of it what did this woman do she brought the best of what she had and brought it to her Lord, to the King of Kings. And how did she approach worship? How do we approach it? Do we come here to see if we're satisfied, or do we come as an offering? She came to offer the best that she had, an alabaster jar of perfume. You think it was a hard-earned perfume? Did she get the money for that easily? No. With her own life, she earned that. And she came unto the Lord, and she approached him in a manner that we should, we should approach him, worshiping. Does anyone know what it means to worship? It means to give the honor and respect and devotion unto God that he deserves. Okay, so she comes in this manner with lowliness of heart, humility of heart, and she comes knowing or perhaps thinking in her mind, I can't approach him from the front. And she comes to where? To his feet. He's reclined on the, t- on the couch as they did back in, in the Middle East in those days with one elbow perhaps on the sofa and the other elbow reaching into a bowl, eating whatever it was he was eating, and his, and his feet were extended towards the back. So she comes, and when she's within proximity of, of the king of kings, her emotion, she can't, she can't hold it back. She can't maintain it anymore. And much more profound than just bringing a wash basin and a towel to do the job, her own tears are sprinkled on the Lord's feet. Her own tears. Is that the kind of attitude we bring when we come unto the Lord? To worship Him, to thank Him for the many miracles He's done in our life, for the fact that we're made anew? What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? That for those who are in Christ, 
all things are made new. Everything else that passed is past, to paraphrase it. We're given new opportunity. She already had that notion in her head, and her mind. Just because of the fact that she had seen and witnessed everything this man did and because the Holy Spirit had convicted her in her heart. And she comes in this manner. She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Did you guys know that our, our worship should be a sweet fragrance unto the Lord? Whenever we come before the Lord, it should be as if incense is coming before his nostrils. That's what I'm talking about when I say true worship, an attitude of worship. It's not how well I sing. It's not how good I look. It's not whether I sing the right song at the right time in the right pitch. It's an attitude thing. How do I come? How do I come? We've got to stop and, and check our lives, honestly. Um, I think about the fact that I'm here even speaking to you guys, and it, it humbles me and it embarrasses me. I don't deserve to be here. <laughs> I was a stuttering little boy up until the time I was 27 years old. Literally, literally, literally. And now I'm here sharing God's word. We don't deserve things like that. We don't deserve our next breath, yet the Lord is merciful, compassionate, full of grace and love. And this woman in a moment's time, just exemplifies all that with some simple, heartfelt, heart-shown emotions. Do you guys ever stop and think how great the Lord is, how lowly we are, and the magnificent thing He's done for us? This woman did. And she knew something. She knew something. Something is written in the Psalms. Psalm 51.1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. In the same Psalm, in verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So when we come before the Lord, having the right attitude, the right heart, there is no way the Lord is going to refuse our worship. It's going to please Him. It's going to be a pleasing aroma unto Him, a fragrance. Imagine walking in, this is what I imagine, I imagine walking into a, a room filled with jasmine, gardenias, and just lavenders. I mean, just something that just totally penetrates your, your, your soul. And when we worship in the correct manner and we have the right mindset and the right heart set, it pleases the Lord so tremendously. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when I say I'm not qualified to give this kind of study. None of us are. But it's something we need to learn. 
It's something we need to live in because it's not here where our true worship goes on. This is just a culmination of it all amongst our fellow brethren, amongst the people we love. But our true worship is our life. Every step I take, every breath I make, right? Colossians 3.17 says that everything I do, whether it be in word and deed, do it unto the Lord, giving thanks to him through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an attitude of worship. That's how we should come. And this is, this is what religion sees, okay? She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. She, she is a sinner. He, he takes the most cynical and most religious perspective you could take. Isn't that religion, though? That's not relationship. That's religion. We're, we're casting ballots as to whether someone belongs or doesn't. We forget that it's God who decides. We're judging. We're watching. And true worship, honestly, does not come from a point of exterior examination. No, it's an introspective. Look into yourself and see who you are and see what God has done for you. That will bring you to worship. That will bring you to be thankful. That will thank, bring you to stand up and, and just sing. Don't be afraid to sing. Man, Henry can't sing, and he sings. So do I. Right? We're not ble all blessed with that, but what I'm telling you, it's got to do with the heart. It doesn't have to do with the song. But that's how, how religion is so immensely different from the true relationship we have with God, the grace of God. Man demands performance and adherence to the law, right? God sees a repentant heart and immediately, immediately, he takes residence within that life, that life that desires to honor him. That's what happened with this woman. He immediately took residency within her, within her heart. Immediately, he saw the faith. He saw the conviction. He saw the decision she made prior to even coming to that house. So he proceeds to try and give Simon a lesson. He says, in verse 41, in verse 40, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Right? 
not knowing that Jesus knew his thoughts. Jesus goes on to say, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? How many people were there? How many people were in debt? What would have been the natural response? Right? For the one who owed more to love more. But we got to stop and think about that statement. Does that mean that some of us are less sinners than others? Some of us might have a more public sin like this woman. Some of us might be adulterers. And for shame, we don't even want to come to the Lord. But you know what? Come to the Lord. Come to the Lord. He will receive your offering. He will forgive you. He will see that decision in your heart. I think it's more of a matter that we all need to find out and realize that we're all in debt. It doesn't matter how much. We're all in debt. And if we're forgiven debtors, we're all going to love. I mean, what difference is there between that Supreme Court judge who's a sinner and the biker who sells drugs on the corner? Are they both not sinners? They're both sinners. I heard an anecdote once about a, a, a pastor back east in Washington who had a congregation such as that. He had bikers and judges in the same pew, right? Um, I think I've shared this, this with you before, but he had a visiting pastor from out here in the west visiting him, and the pastor was just amazed. He says, man, look at that. Look at that guy. Cut off sleeves, all tatted up wearing his colors, but he's here worshiping the Lord. Such a miracle. Such a miracle. And the pastor looks at the man. He looks at the other pastor. He says, yeah, that's a big miracle. But not any bigger miracle than that judge there. Because that judge left his self-righteousness, left the fact that he thought he was sinless and came to the same conclusion. We're both in debt to the Lord. Amen? That's how we need to think. When we come to worship, find out, man, I owe this Lord so much, but I can't repay him, but I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to come before him with a contrite and broken heart. That's what he's trying to teach the Pharisee. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more, and he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then, this is interesting the way he does this. He's talking to the judge but looking at the sister, right? He turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Remember at the beginning I asked you guys what you thought his intentions were, the Pharisees' intentions were? W were they to be hospitable? Obviously not. Because in Eastern culture, apparently, it was a common thing to provide travelers or guests with a basin in which to wash their feet. And if they didn't at least do that, they even provided a servant to do it for them. 
that made it known to the person that he was welcome. Was Jesus welcome in this man's house even though he was invited? The part of Mexico that I'm from, not, not directly, but my, my uh, parents, um, it's called Sonora, Mexico. And in Sonora, Mexico, man, they drink coffee every day, all day. And it's 130 degrees there. I don't get it, but they do. But there's a saying there that if you go into someone's house and you're not offered a cup of coffee, it's because you're not welcome. Was Jesus welcome? Because this was the common practice. Is the true living Jesus welcome amongst the religious? No. Because they're stuck in their self-righteousness, practicing their traditions, their rituals, their man-made commandments, and they forget about what's staring them in the face. Truth. Don't mind me, I'm falling down. Truth. So he's looking at the woman while he's talking to Simon. He says, do you see the woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. That's kind of significant. When my, when my wife and I met, she was beautiful as she is now. But she had hair literally down behind, below her kneecaps. Behind, that's how long it was. And it was just a marvelous thing. I used to see her at work every day, and she'd be wearing a braid. That's where I met her. I met her just down the street right here on Arden. And um, you know how I found out she really loved me? One day she came, and she had her hair loose. And it was just her crowning glory. It was an amazing sight. I mean, she knocked me off my feet. Okay? So this woman, who apparently had long hair, which was her crowning glory, she used that. She didn't grab a towel. She didn't grab a wash basin. Her tears and the part of her body, which was her crowning glory, she used to wash the Lord's feet. And he's saying to Simon, man, you didn't even give me a basin, dude. Not even that. Yet, she knows what true mercy is. She knows what true worship is. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Not because she loved much. This is why she loved much, because she, her sins were forgiven. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Was Simon showing any love? None. Apparently he didn't think he had any sins to be forgiven of. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who is this that even forgives sins? God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Amen? Just a little something before we close. This is how we should come before the Lord in worship. By this example, with this heart, 
lowly and humble, looking up, perhaps approaching at least his feet, because we're not worthy of anything else. When we come to heart to church, let's have a heart check. Is our heart in the right st- spot? Are we right in the right position? Um, it should be a try a time of introspection, looking in towards ourselves to see why the Lord forgave us. It's strictly because of His grace, and see what He forgave us of. That'll drive us. That'll encourage us to worship Him. If we come with a critical outlook, with a please me outlook, forget it. You've already lost a moment. There isn't going to be a moment of true worship in your heart if you come in this that way. When you come in and you see the brothers and sisters singing and for some reason it doesn't please you, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's not to please you. It's an audience of one. We're here to please the Lord, to sing unto him. By the way, we have an awesome worship team, so... We have nothing to worry about. Worship shouldn't be a matter of what I can see or what I can get. It should be a time of whom I seek and how much I give. Our worship isn't fragrant unto the Lord because we offer the right song at the right time. It isn't fragrant because of the right condition. It's fragrant, excuse me. It is fragrant because of the right condition of our hearts. It's always, always a matter of the heart. Amen? The Lord's good, guys. So good, he's letting you go home early. (laughs) Amen? Let's stand before the Lord in prayer, guys. Dear Father, we thank you so much, so much for your grace, Father, for your ever-present love in our lives, Father. It's just so impossible to fathom, Father, that you're there with us every step of the way. You see our hearts, our attitudes. You see our needs and our wants, Father, and you give us what we need. And you love us how we want, Father. We're just so thankful, Father, for everything you've done, Father. I just pray, Father, and uh, earnestly ask, Father, to give us a heart of worship. Give us a correct attitude, Father. Because a worshiping church is a faithful church. We will always want to give unto you what you deserve, Father. You deserve the best. A heart that's contrite and humble, in lowliness and humbleness, Father. We just thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.